0: What a fascinating yet challenging time to be a leader! And in this Leading by Nature series, I interview pioneering leaders from diverse organisations exploring future-fit leadership and organisational development. I'm Giles Hutchins, Executive Coach, Senior Advisor and author of many books, the latest being Leading by Nature, which explores the inner nature and outer nature of the organisation and the inner and outer nature of the leader as they journey toward regenerative futures. Welcome to the Leading by Nature podcast with myself, Giles Hutchins, and my guest today, James Perry, co-chairman of award-winning frozen meal provider, Cook. Thank you very much, James, for being here. It's good to be here, Giles. So we're going to dive straight in as always. And it'd be great if you could start, James, by sharing a little bit about Cook's reason for being, it's passion and it's purpose.
1: Well, Cook's purpose is uh, nourishing relationships and uh, we define that as nourishing relationships between business and society uh, with food and where it comes from um, and with people and their work. And we sort of see ourselves as what we call a purpose-maximizing business rather than a profit-maximizing business.
0: I like that, purpose-maximizing business. You know, there's a lot at the moment about more purposeful business, and I know you've been a a mover, prime mover in in the B Corp movement. Uh, If we look at this significant shift that's underway at the moment in the operating system in sort of capitalism and individualism and so forth, um, often what's missed is that is rooted in a quite a mechanistic way of thinking. Um, So a shift from kind of organization's machine to organizations living systems. Can you speak to that shift at all and, and what you're witnessing and how that might relate to Cook and your work?
1: Yes, I mean, I think that um, over the course of my lifetime, I was born in 1972 when there was, you know, twice as much uh, biomass on planet Earth as there is now, you know. And um, I think we've we've witnessed a sort of industrial-scale asset stripping Of natural and social capital um, because business has been asked to turn it into financial capital and it's extremely good at it and it's done a terrific job at doing what it's been asked to do so I suppose our argument would be or the way we would see it is that we've just asked business to do the wrong thing so it's got the wrong operating system and as you say it's kind of individualistic and it's, it's very mechanical if you move your operating system to one which seeks to create value for everybody, not just value for shareholders, then you stop being an individualistic mechanism for extraction and you become part of a living ecosystem. It's a sort of necessary um, part of transitioning into a new operating system. And that, that
0: ecosystem model that you're bringing alive there, that's also sensible for the business, isn't it? I mean, what it's actually doing is enhancing the uh, agility and the future-proofness of the the business model because you have uh, more, the relationships are deeper rather than just fickle and transactional. I mean, how does that work in Cook? Have you noticed that that developing that ecosystem has helped you through times of change?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that our own awareness has been evolving over time. You know, we, we are constantly growing and learning and understanding more. So, and I don't see Cook as being the finished article at all. I think we're still a work in progress 20 years in. It's, it sort of feels incredibly exciting that we're sort of still just exploring the beginnings of what was possible. Um, but certainly when you, we found that when we sort of abandoned um, any kind of sense of individualistic profit-seeking and sought to become a kind of a good contributing part of a broader ecosystem. We just started seeing literally everything differently. So everything from our relationships with our suppliers, you know, we move employees, you know, one moves away from sort of transaction into relationship. Um, and that makes one think very differently about kind of everything. So everything from the way that we buy things, what we buy, how we incentivize our staff, how we how we think about people. Um, you know so that people aren't just a unit of in, an input a unit of production they're people and they have needs and they have holistic set of concerns they have families so you know for example our learning and development work might extend to people's lives more generally rather than just their job role um yeah it sort of changes everything
0: yeah now it's interesting because as well as you being a a founding player in the b Corp movement in the uk You're also a founding partner of Snowball Investment Management. Now, for some people that might feel a bit strange, you know, involved in a a frozen food company and also an investment management, but I know that there's there's a good reason for it. Could you explain a bit how that Snowball work relates to your work at Cook?
1: Yeah, well, I think that fundamentally, the person that pays the piper calls the tune. And if you're growing a business, you do need to be able to access capital so the question of how aligned that capital is if one is trying to pursue a sort of more holistic sense of value creation is really key it's very difficult to do that if the capital is basically short-term profit-seeking so uh, one of my jobs with cook has been to ensure that our capital base is aligned and long-term and and interested in creating a sort of much broader kind of a value Um, and when one thinks about that and when one thinks thinks about sort of this whole point about you can't do this alone, you can only do it together, which is why on the business side we got very excited and interested in the B Corp movement, got very involved in helping to grow that. But actually on the capital market side, so if that's the demand side for capital, the supply side for capital is, is, is something that needs to be looked at as well. So um, I, I ended up doing quite a lot of work in how do you kind of make investments into purposeful. Uh, structures, purposeful business, um, and sort of came to believe that there was a sort of opportunity to create a um, multi-asset manager, which looked to deploy both venture capital and private equity, but also invest in public markets, fixed income, uh, even cash. So it had a sort of balanced portfolio of investments that you might buy off a wealth manager that was seeking, um, intentionally seeking to shape a better world with that capital.
0: That brings me to an interesting point around um, organizations. Um, what tends to happen or what I've noticed in a lot of the organizations I coach is they get to this size, as, as you say, they're, they're kind of uh, purpose maximizers rather than profit maximizers. And yet they need to raise capital. Uh, they need to, they're, they're growing, they have a life force, uh, they're, they're doing good work through their value propositions and their ecosystem. And in raising that capital, they perhaps dilute their shareholding and their ownership changes and before you know it the nature underneath the organization starts to shift to perhaps a more let's say short-termist capitalistic approach have you noticed this in some of the b corps or or the family um, organizations and and if so is there a way around that
1: yeah i think that it's a real challenge for people because you know and, and we've experienced this with cook ourselves you know on the one hand, you want to grow a business. You want to maximize your purpose, which means you need to you need to attract capital and grow. But on the other hand, the capital available does potentially risk um, distracting you or or misaligning you from that purpose maximizing um, goal. And 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 often for good reason. You know, it's um, it, it can't be permanent capital. It does need to sort of be paid to its beneficiaries, whoever they might be. Um, you know, the, the venture capital industry has a has a sort of five, seven year fund life. They need to sort of flip the businesses in order to return money to their investors and so on. So there are so many structural challenges to long term, stable, patient aligned capital. And I don't think that we have cracked it. Um, and I think it remains an issue that we need to, to resolve. I think it's getting better. I think it's a lot better than it was. So, yeah. Um, you know, When Cook needed venture capital in the early 2000s, we ended up growing another business, selling it and using the proceeds as venture capital for ourselves so that we didn't have to involve anybody else because we couldn't find anyone aligned. Now there are private equity funds which are much more closely aligned and interested in a more holistic outcome. Um, and yet they do often mostly have a, um, a temporal sort of a time limit they need to flip the capital. So it, you know, it's very difficult Uh, It's still a work in progress.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. There's this tension around time, short-termism versus long-termism. We have that in our decision-making processes. It's not just about capital, but also, you know, there's always that need to make sure we're we're doing well now as well as doing well in the future. And so, you know, keeping these tensions alive. Like we also talked about, you know, having nurturing, rich relationships, but also there is a time and a place for. You know more simple transactional ones so it's sort of being aware of these sort of balances and tensions uh, in the ecosystem and keeping that as a leader but before we turn to you as as a leader and your experience i'd like to turn our attention to the inner nature of cook as a living organization uh, how do you help cook encourage its culture to flourish
1: We're very fortunate that Cook is led by, um, executively led by my brother and my sister, and the three of us are are very different. And my sister has a particular superpower around kind of culture and um, human-centeredness, if you like. Um, And so over the last 10 years, we have been extremely intentional in building a culture That reflects kind of the mission of the company and we put a huge amount of energy and effort into um, our values and into internal events so that um, all parts of the company attend internal events and celebrate our values and really go quite deep together in terms of you know participating in this in this journey of this really broad idea of value creation and really connecting with the value that's being created um, in loads of different ways so it it's a job, but it's also a much broader, deeper thing than a regular job. So people, you know, bring a, a whole different side of themselves to work and show up in a different way. And I think, um, you know, the business benefits from that, but also I think that they benefit from that in terms of fulfillment. So it's a, it's a really good value engine.
0: Yeah, it's interesting hearing in in some of these more purpose-led organisations how people are actually going home better for their working day, whereas so often we find people absolutely sort of slaughtered by the stress of day-to-day, that they go home sort of knackered and unable to process all the challenges, whereas being part of an intentional community, as it were, within the organisation, you actually go home more stimulated and more perhaps able to deal with some of the other challenges
1: yeah and one small example of that which became a big example but um, this is the initiative of the people who work in the company you know so so w- once they understand that the business has a broader understanding of, of value um you know we had one one circumstance where the there was in- excess ingredients that weren't being used that we were throwing away um so some of the chefs um, decided to take those ingredients to a homeless shelter and cook them for for homeless people and out of that came a relationship with this uh, homeless shelter where we understood that these people what they really needed was a job so um so th- so the people who work in the business kind of made it so that that we could offer these people jobs and over time that has evolved into what we call our raw talent program where now four percent of our workforce are people who have been released from, recently released from prison or are recovering addicts so These things sort of get built into the system, Hmm. but it happens organically. It's like a small seed is planted and then it grows into something um, really extraordinary.
0: Yeah. And you're a reasonable size now, aren't you? I mean, just out of interest, how many people now, what is the head count of Cook these days?
1: Uh, I think it's about uh, 1700. Um, Yeah. yeah, So we'll move through 2000 this year.
0: Nice. Um, Have you examples of other rituals? I mean, I know, for instance, you have this values. Nomination. So you're sort of helping enshrine the values into day-to-day behaviours, you know, celebrating them. So, so people actually feel they're lived rather than just becoming something that's espoused or talked about on onboarding.
1: Yeah, we have, we have five values and um, they came out of a company-wide process that Rosie led uh, where we really talked to people about what they thought our values were and kind of refined it and, and whittled it down and, and distilled it down to the five that we have, which are um, be part of the family, care be remarkable churchill's pig and have fun and all of those things mean mean different things but what's interesting is 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 exactly what you say they're not just things that sit on a wall above someone's desk they're things that are made to live in the company so for example we have churchill's pig week i was every going to week. ask you about
0: churchill's pig <laughs>
1: <laughs> we have churchill's pig week every every year but every day is also churchill's pig day which is um uh, Church. Uh, Winston Churchill's favourite animal was a pig because um, a dog looks up to a person, and a cat looks down on a person, but a pig looks you directly in the eye. And it was this idea that we're not we're not hierarchical. We're all in terms of we're just humans, so we can talk to each other straight about things that we need to talk to each other about, and um, we do it respectfully. But there's a kind of it's it's a real um, trigger for people to be able to talk honestly and frankly about things that are bothering them um, and it's really powerful so Churchill's pig week is the kind of get out the trash week kind of thing and um, you know Ed and Rosie will respond personally to every single uh, person who comments on it. it can be done anonymously but you really learn about what people think uh, with a value like that and um, it's so 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 these sorts of rituals are very important and the mo- I, in some ways the most simple one that um, I find probably the most inspiring is um, our values nominations where we invite everyone who works in the company to nominate a colleague um, for exhibiting one of the values and these stories come out which are incredibly moving and you read sort of last last uh, last time we did it I think there was over 700 values nominations from different people 700 small stories and they are extremely moving and when you start celebrating that stuff it starts to really live
0: yeah, lovely. I mean, these rituals are also just helping bring in that authenticity and that real humanity into the day-to-day. And, and it's it's it also becomes a bit odd to think that we have to go to work and kind of close down parts of ourselves, because in so doing, in opening up more of ourselves, we're also unlocking our brilliance. And as you say, it's better for the organization. People are more creative, more agile, more able to think for themselves and so forth. So this authenticity, it's also very important for it to, sort of be um, lived by the leaders in the organization and of course leaders are are, are everyone to a certain extent uh, but people look towards the, the chairman and, and I know you were previously CEO so maybe speak a little bit about your own leadership journey and how that capacity has changed over the years.
1: Well in the early days and possibly necessarily it was quite directive you know we sort of decided what we should do and we sort of sort of led the charge um and over and obviously that doesn't work as you scale and you know as we've grown and we've been able to attract you know more and more amazing talent you know I've I've sort of come to the more the more I go on through life the more I realize I don't know and the more I realize how amazing people are I mean people are just incredibly amazing um, at every level and um, so many of our people at Cook have grown with the company so they were doing they're now doing really quite big jobs people who would never have imagined that they'd be doing that stuff um, when they started out with us um so yeah I just really believe in the capacity and the potential of of aligned and committed people to achieve incredible things so in some ways it's a joy to kind of get to the stage where you realize your own redundancy to some extent and can just make sure that we protect a space for talent to um, really thrive and offer it platforms where it can where where the talent can kind of can can be the change that it wants to see in the world and when when one does that the energy that it unlocks is something else
0: yeah you're right and it's you can it's tangible you can feel it and it it helps your own vulnerability now we we've been previously talking about you know post ego almost as if not not destroying the ego but actually needing a strong ego but also moving beyond it and this capacity as a leader to sort of bring in wisdom rather than controlling and managing actually to help that sensing and responding and what you're talking about there is I mean you talk about making yourself redundant well maybe it's it's actually just sort of a morphing it's a, a deepening where you're sort of holding space and allowing that wisdom to emerge in people, have you noticed that at all in your style over the last couple of years?
1: Yes, I mean, particularly being non-executive, my main contribution now, I think, is you know I have a luxurious position where I can go out and I can meet really interesting people a lot of the time and learn from them, and therefore bringing that knowledge back and introducing some of those people to the business is a really, it's a really satisfying. Value contribution, uh, which one can make without, um, because as you say, like there's egos are really I think a really toxic thing because it sort of it it crushes other people's um, endeavour and sort of steals their thunder. Um, So so somehow navigating a sort of you know putting one's own ego down without relinquishing one's entire identity i think is a very challenging thing f- for a leader um and i and i think we probably get it wrong more often than we get it right but the ball game is being able to to bring value um, and protect and curate the space um without sort of starting to jerk it in in unwelcome directions but but while still bringing the right energy so for example at cook you know we really do have a live conversation about the future of um food and food systems where where clearly we are participating in a system that needs to change what is our role in that to what extent are we part of the problem to what extent are we part of the solution you know that's a really live conversation and it's not an easy one to answer
0: no you're right there's a lot here uh, now before we turn to final tips that you might have for other leaders uh, recently you came here to to springwood to springwood farm in fact actually a fellow b corp leader was just here yesterday overnight and and had a an overnight solo here and, and is there anything you uh, have, what was the experience of coming to springwood in the woods and exploring this work for you like
1: i found it incredibly encouraging because there are so many people who are exploring this alternative idea for business which isn't alternative it's actually the idea in my view it's the correct idea for business but it is different to the current culture and practice and therefore the lessons that we're all learning individually are in so many ways common and when one comes to somewhere like Springwood and meets with others who are on the similar journey one just finds those points of encouragement and commonality but also loads of people who've done things that you haven't thought of and who are exploring different parts of it and so the the, the opportunity to learn is just so rich um so no i i we had a uh, I had an incredible time there and um and want to come back
0: well you're always welcome in the woods anytime and finally any little tips that might help other leaders on this journey
1: so uh, one of the things i'm thinking about at the minute is is uh, we've always been a bit of a fan of dan pink's um You know, autonomy, mastery, and purpose as the kind of three things you need. You need autonomy, you need mastery, and you need purpose. But I've been reflecting recently. I think there's one thing that sort of that lacks, which I would add on to it, which is belonging. And I think that if you are part of this move to interdependence, you can't do it on your own. So as an individual, autonomy, mastery, and purpose are great. But it actually only really works if you add belonging to that and I think exploring we, I think we work quite well on uh, uh, our autonomy our mastery and our purpose but I'm not sure we always consciously work as well as we might on our belonging um, which kind of brings you back to Springwood and that experience which is what that's all about but also why things like the B Corp movement um, are so important and things like the impact investment movement because um, it's about being part of a bigger a bigger whole.
0: Yeah and these movements are really now gathering momentum you know for people like you and I and by the way I didn't know that we both shared the year 1972 um, so that's nice to learn on this podcast. Um, both you and I have been sort of playing around in these movements for many decades and now there is a real vitality and there's a sort of weight to them um, which is Um, Very therapeutic and and cathartic. So, look, we've covered a lot here. We've talked about uh, um, talking straight like a pig. Um, We've even talked about um, Churchill's pig as as a weak, human-centered cultures, long-term patient capital, um, transactions, shifting to relationships, and the the need to think of things as an ecosystem, maybe people-centric as well as community-based. Thank you so much for your time today, James. It's been a really great conversation.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: For more on Leading by Nature, you can follow me, Giles Hutchins, on LinkedIn and visit gileshutchins.com for free downloads of tools and practices for regenerative leadership and future fit business. Also, watch out for my latest book, Leading by Nature, The Process of Becoming a Regenerative Leader.